RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Michael Pelka and Beans. So, first topic, obviously, we hit on it in the intro, which you can get if you go to Locals, um, the UncoverDC.Locals.com channel. You get the pre-show and everything. Is this horrific, absolutely terrible, tragic school shooting in Texas. Yeah. It's it's terrible. Um, it, it hits kind of close to home for me. Because Gigi Bowman, who is the business manager at Uncover DC and has been a friend of mine for more than a decade now, has been with me through everything. Her daughter, sadly, committed suicide at the age of 16 years old after being prescribed Zoloft, which was not indicated for kids her age. Um, And we have no information that this monster was taking any SSRI medication. However, in every single other instance, especially Parkland, the person perpetrating the crime was a minor, quote, or near a minor who was on either one or more SSRI medications, Mike. Hmm. And it is a very big problem. And Gigi um, has a column that she wrote a few years ago about this when she had reached out to Andrew Pollack from Parkland to kind of be on the same wavelength. Um, I, you know, saying like, I lost my daughter to a medication. She didn't take anyone with her, but you lost yours to someone who was also on medication and it's powerful. And so it is going up at Uncover DC and it will be up later today because it's something that we don't address barring the, barring the um, SSRI medication or lack thereof that this, person was on mental health is at the core of all of this you know we don't need to get into the talk mike about why guns are not the problem oh we might need to we we might need to when that massive gas bag michael moore runs i'm sorry there's no day in my life that michael moore ever ran anywhere michael moore rushed in a car to MSNBC the minute this happened in order to say this. Who will say on this network or any other network in the next few days, it's time to repeal the Second Amendment? What? Oh, you can't say that. Well, why not? If they had any idea that there would be this kind of carnage, you have to believe that the founders of this country wouldn't support it. Gas bag. The only re- like. Everybody listening to this show knows this already, right? I mean, I doubt very highly that there is a very far left person listening to my podcast unless they're in the media looking to smear me for some reason. Might be somebody from Media Matters who's assigned. Likely. To do this. Likely. (laughs) Somebody lost a bet and they have to listen. Don't make me listen to those common sense conservatives ever again. But like, like, seriously, There are so many other ways to prevent something like this from happening that have nothing to do with a firearm. And another friend of mine brought up a really good point, too, Mike. 
the looking at what firearms this person had and the capacity of the magazines and how many bullets they possessed, these weapons cost well over four thousand dollars to purchase. Mm, I have to. You mean the the total package? Yeah, the guy had. Because uh, and thank you for not saying that person's name. I don't want to give them any. Uh, Won't do it. Any um, promotion. Um, as a firearms owner, I know my AR-15 platform cost me under two grand and most of my handguns run about, oh, you know, seven or eight hundred. Yeah. Now it's 400. I've, I've got a couple of fancier ones, but most of them and, and my little snake shooter, it was like 200 bucks. So that's not not a big deal. So 4000, that seems high. Looking at what what he had that here, I'll, I'll have a little breakdown if, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. The Sig Sauer, it, it, it's got to be at least 1500 The site okay. on it was between seven and 800 See, that's where you run into money. Yeah. When you put a lot of these accessories on that rail. It had a, a Bravo Company bolt carrier group, which is about another 400 to 600 And the other one that he carried was between twelve to 1500 So around $4,000 worth of guns from a kid working at Wendy's who didn't graduate high school. Yeah. And, and I, I do think it's unfair to call him a kid. He was old enough to fight and die for our country. He chose not to. True. Uh, he was old enough to vote. True. God knows if he did. So this is a man, this is someone of their majority who, um, who for whatever mental reason decided to kill children and uh, a couple of teachers trying to defend them. So I, I won't call him a kid that it, only feeds into the agenda. Went into one uh, classroom and, you know, this is like every parent's worst nightmare. Um, but w- what would have happened? And we have this conversation most times that this happens if the teacher was armed. Well, go back to um, Katie Pavlich's writings on this subject from, I think, almost 10 years ago, where the study was done on gun-free zones, which schools are gun-free zones. 90-plus percent of mass shootings in this country since 1950 and through yesterday happened in gun-free zones. So not only if the teacher had been armed and trained, yep, because uh, we're big proponents of training, but had there been a, and I hate this term, school resource officer, no, you put a cop, Get a retired veteran. Let's help some of the vets who are out there looking for suitable work and put them at a desk duty at a single entrance to a, a an elementary school for little kids. And you don't have this problem. No, you don't. And you don't have this. But, you know, and, and the thing, again, that really, really just makes me angry is that as a country, we can't even say, oh my gosh, and spend a moment in mourning for the loss that some crazy lunatic, you know, went went nuts and did to innocent children. We have to have political crap thrust into everything all the time. Oh, yeah. It, the the um, bodies lying in the classroom were not cold when Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut gave his emotional speech from the well of the Senate yesterday, and then our president flying home from 
his um, distraction from destruction tour um, was briefed apparently and decided to make this about attacking the gun lobby just minutes into an eight-minute speech. Not knowing anything. No. No, we still don't really know a whole lot. We don't. We know that he... We know we know what they're telling us, which is not enough for me to say much about it. Yeah. And then this morning it was interesting as we were getting ready to do the podcast and record the podcast. I'm flipping around the news channels and Fox was saying that he shot and killed his grandmother. And they mentioned it twice before 10 o'clock Eastern. And then they came back and said, no, she's in the hospital. So there's misinformation everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And so, again, like like Mr. Beck, I, too, go by the mantra, we never have to be first and we never are. Very, very rarely are we first on something like this because there's no benefit to anybody. You know, at, at, you think sometimes when you're, you're too early on something like this, it's, it's worse than waiting. It's, it's much worse than waiting. Yeah, because those dumb statements you make in a knee-jerk reaction, an emotional reaction to something, invariably are forever on the Internet. Well, Kate, in Vegas, um, an interview that I did with a woman named Renee after the Vegas um, with Stephen Paddock, Mm -hmm. she was at the Bellagio, and there were gunshots in the Bellagio, and I had her on an interview after corroborating her story for about two weeks before I even had her on. So, yeah, it's really important. It's really important to make sure you get it right before you get it first. Yep. So uh, th- there's that. We'll we'll follow it and see what else happens. And I don't even want to think about it because it makes me shudder. Well, how could it not? You're a parent. You're a yeah. mom. Somebody who's who has to face that reality every day when your little one goes off to school, even though your little one's looking more like an adult every day. My little one would have tackled the dude taking him. <laughs> Probably <laughs> she's Leave the leg, take him out. No, it's, it's such a, it's so hard to try and come up with the right statement. I did find um, one yesterday. that's kind of interesting and I did not wait. I didn't put it up immediately. I put it up this morning on my Twitter account and it's a quote from a guy named Lysander Spooner. Now, how's that for a name? I know that name for some reason. I know that person. I feel like Sanders Spooner was around the early part of the 19th century. Oh, that's why I know it. Yeah. You probably ran into him in the hood down at the, down at the well, getting water for for today's bath or whatever this week's bath. Uh, Spooner was an anarchist, but he also was an abolitionist and, and an entrepreneur. But his statement on guns is pretty damn interesting. I think he said, quote, To ban guns because the criminals use them is to tell the law-abiding that their rights and liberties depend not on their own conduct, but on the conduct of the guilty and the lawless. Hmm. Pretty good, I think. It's the same logic they use to make everyone get vaccinated. Yeah, but I think this one is better. (laughs) I'm just saying, you have to do it for everyone else. (laughs) Well, that, that's to take the guns away. You're saying, but this guy's arguing differently. He's trying to say you you don't have to do it for everyone else. It's, well, I understand what he's doing. Okay. I broke it around. I broke it and yeah, I turned it. Brought it everything comes back to the fact that I'm double vaccinated. I, I know. When I say things about them, I, I, I don't think about you at all. We've already gone through that. 
Well, it's okay if you do. I don't. I really don't. Honestly. Um, I'm okay with choices, but I'm not okay with someone telling me that I need to do something for someone else. Mandating is not a choice. Yes. Yes. That's all. Uh, Last night I was, while I was waiting for uh, Biden to get his instructions before he came out, um, I went and saw 2000 mules. Oh, how was that? In, in a theatrical situation. Yes. Um, the conservative caucus of Delaware got together for a private screening and I thought it was, um, irritating and fascinating. And what's more irritating is the fact that there is nobody in mainstream media giving this any credibility and it is just so aggravating. Doesn't that show you like that's such a, a, a wonderful example of how they were all in on it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The power to ignore is the greatest power of the of the media right now. Yeah. And they're certainly doing it. If you haven't seen it, it's playing in about 400 theaters right now. And it would behoove you. And I don't use that word regularly. It would behoove you to go and and spend your money, even if it takes you an hour to drive there. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a movie that everybody needs to see. Everybody. Because even if you leave it with more questions than answers, you're going to do the research to find the answers, which I have just so um, conveniently documented for you all over UncoverDC.com. That's so handy. I love it. <laughs> We have like one post that has a running list of all of our coverage of the true the vote election integrity efforts. It, it is um, it is a documentary that deserves better attention than it's getting. And I, I wish I wish I could reenact that scene from a clockwork orange where the guy's strapped in the chair and his eyes are held open. And he has to watch those those videos that are meant to um, alter his behavior. And I I wish I could put all the Democrats in those chairs and make them watch this. Guess what? What? They wouldn't care. Probably true. They wouldn't care. I I don't think they'd care. I think they would be. They would be. uh, They'd be like, yeah, we won. So. I think they'd be saying, well, can we do that for this fall? Is that can we can monkeypox be used to do that? You know, it's fun. It's. Monkeypox. See how quickly that's disappearing from the the grand screen. Well, of course it will. Yesterday um, morning, I was doing an audit of CNN because I have no life, and I was looking at the topics they were covering on that primary day, and they were talking about number one topic, of course, is Donald Trump because they wanted to say he's going to fail miserably in Georgia, which he did. And, yeah, but you knew it was happening because he did it for all the wrong reasons. Yep. It was revenge based. Uh, and and then the other topic was monkeypox. And I thought, you know, you, there are six people in America, maybe five at that time, who had confirmed cases of monkeypox. And you have 107,000 dead Americans because of fentanyl and opioids crossing the southern border. And not one word about that. But you're talking about monkeypox. Well, they'll stop talking about mon- monkeypox very quickly. And I'll well, tell you, I'll tell you why. Okay, why? Because gonna- yeah, it's predominantly spreading among gay men. Well, now is it really? Oh yes, 
almost every single case, save one or two. Hmm. And those are the two in Utah. Um, I believe one of the Utah cases. Yes. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand, I did talk to our buddy, Dr. Mike Royzen from the Cleveland Clinic about monkeypox. He's your buddy, not ours. My buddy. <laughs> I still haven't gotten to talk to him. <laughs> okay. Uh, Royzen talked about, A, if you're born before 1972, which I am, uh, you were vaccinated for smallpox. And the basic theory is if you've been vaccinated for smallpox, you're covered for monkeypox because they're similar poxes. Cross-reactive, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm good. I have that little circle on my non-dominant arm that I got my, my uh, monkey and smallpox vaccination from back in the day. But he did talk about how, how strong we are in terms of um, vaccines that we have stockpiled. And we have uh, therapeutics that are very good. But the, um, and I asked them, they, they have a 21-day quarantine now in where is it, Sweden or Finland or yeah. one of those places. And I said, is that how long it takes for this thing to burn itself out? And he goes, um, "We're no, but you should get treatment as soon as possible because those, and this is my least favorite word Pustule. to say. To, pustules. <laughs> Those pustules, um, they will leave permanently ugly, disfiguring scars if you don't get treatment quickly. So that's kind of uh, an impetus to go to your doctor if you think you might have the monkey pox. You know, I have a couple of different questions about this. Um, actually, one of them is in a population with a growing body of evidence growing rapidly, actually, that the COVID-19 vaccination has suppressed certain parts of your innate immune system just by its sheer nature. Right. When, when we talk about like people with HIV and as a matter of fact, they think that the Omicron variant was spurned, quote, they, the theory is out of somebody who harbored the virus for a significant amount of time because they had a an immunosuppressive condition that stopped them from being able to f- fight it off. And so it became a variant. And that's what happens. Sometimes people whose immune systems are suppressed can harbor a virus for a long period of time, thereby allowing it to mutate around in the body to form a different variant of said virus or pick up something else or whatever, because it's so it's there so long with no, you know, I don't know, I guess, war going on against it inside the body. Um, What could happen with a sort of novel virus like this or even an older virus like this in an an immunocompromised population, even if not from COVID-19 vaccination, let's just say um, the, the, you know, homosexual community has a higher prevalence of of, of HIV, right? Yeah. What could happen with a kind of pandemic amongst that demographic to cause this virus to potentially mutate inside of those people. Well, if you, pardon me, uh, I think I have a little monkey pox. (laughs) Mike, you did not. (laughs) I did. I did. I'm flinging my poo next. No, I had a little cough there, but um, if that's a closed community, if you will, you know, it's a community that, stays to itself in many places, even though they're not 
they, people who choose to be um, gay, gay, or they are born that way. Thank you, Lady Gaga. Um, they they tend to party in certain venues, and they have certain communities, certain clubs, etc. So maybe then you have a rich area for the virus to thrive. The new monkeypox. It seems to have all, from what we're reading, the initial infection seems to have all come from a sort of big party of about, I don't know, 70 to 80,000 people in Spain. A rave, if you will. Yeah. 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 We played some clips on uh, the Monday show. Actually, Frank joined me on Monday when you were in your absence, Mike. Um, I, heard I heard that Frankie was on there. I heard I heard him a little bit. He was like, yeah, I feel good. Because he, he missed that Friday that you didn't have the show and he thought there was a show and he had been gone the Friday before. Yes. See, I, actually, I do occasionally tune in to our Aww. own little adventure here. Aww. Thank you. I, I respect. So if if this community is a fertile ground for uh, the the uh, monkeypox to grow, it may also be a fertile ground for the monkeypox to mutate. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then, you know, we've we've heard a lot about people who have been vaccinated and then had latent viruses that were in their system come back to the fore, like, uh, you know, herpes simplex one or shingles. You know, viruses that are always in the body, but the, the immune system keeps at bay. Yeah. And so I'm just very curious, given that we're in this situation that we're in with almost, I think it was, I don't even, I want to say 4 billion people fully vaccinated on the planet. Wow. That's like half the planet, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. How many people are fully vaccinated? Um, I think it was 4.2 billion that's a whole bunch of folks. So that would explain why, um, and the monkeypox outbreak would explain maybe, possibly, why the Wuhan Institute of Virology in January of this year was gathering the genomic data on monkeypox, and they claim it was because they wanted to create a PCR test. Yeah, they wanted to be able to test for something that's endemic in Africa. I, I, I don't. I know it's suspicious to me is what I'm saying. Um, 4.72 billion people are fully vaccinated. And how many of them got the crappy vaccines out of China or Russia? Well, there's 1.25 billion on the list from China. Yeah, so you got to throw that out because that's like they, they got sugar water. <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows what they got? And now we're hearing the Moderna vaccine is really uh, a, a fast diminisher. Is that what I saw today? Yeah, I think they're I tossing 30 million doses of it out the door. Say bye to your tax dollars. Well, we could point to just about any government project and yeah. say that. Yeah. You know, that. That's a waste of money, and there's a waste of money. It's, it's, it's I, the whole thing is just, it just annoys the hell out of me. Anyway, the monkey pox, we should, if you have been vaccinated, I, I, but you, you weren't born. No. Before. So you, would you consider getting a monkey pox vaccine? I will never, in the, for the rest of my life, get another vaccine. Never. If I'm going to die, so be it. Well, if you get the monkey pox. Yeah. 
If somebody rubs their pustule up against you, <laughs> such a disgusting <laughs> word. Uh, and you get, God forbid, you contract the monkeypox. I'll live. Uh, but will you go get the antivirals, though? No. But what about the disfiguring scars? I don't know. The people see me behind a microphone. They don't hear. They don't see my face. But your husband and family. I have zero trust for the pharmaceutical industry. Well, I, I can understand that. I will but- take old, tried and true, well-tested drugs. I will never take a novel drug. Well, these are not novel drugs. You know, the the um, antivirals for smallpox, which are effective with monkeypox, have been around for decades. What's their side effect profile? I haven't even looked into it because I didn't contract smallpox. And, you know, the story behind smallpox is really interesting. If you read things like uh, The Deadly Feast or you go to The Hot Zone and you see how smallpox was used and weaponized and why we feared it. And then when we wiped it out in the, um, in the 70s and we decided to stop vaccinating people, we did save it. Yeah, I know. It's all over the place, turning up in labs in Baltimore and un- in unsecure facilities. Yes. But it wasn't meant to be. It was We agreed with the Soviets that we were both going to keep a little bit of it on hand just in case you know, there was an outbreak and we would need to make uh, some sort of vaccine. And 60 Minutes actually traced where the Soviet storage of the smallpox was. And it was in Ukraine. Well, it was in like Igor's refrigerator with a bicycle chain and a padlock around it. Yeah, there's a lot of stories that are people are starting to try and put some pieces together that like maybe this monkeypox was in one of the Ukrainian bio labs. Hmm. That would make um, a, a likely situation. I, I could see that happening. Yeah. 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 Well, isn't this a happy, happy discussion? I had, um, uh, we, we, I had a, a mo- several moments of pure joy yesterday, Mike. Okay, good. We needed that and we need it now. I was watching, um, I, as you know, I frequent Citizen Free Press often. Oh, yes. I was proud, too, to have seen this. We had a couple up there yesterday. We had a couple well, you had, columns. Yeah, like a big one at the top with a, 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 a nice bright uh, color on it. It was like getting the old siren when Drudge was actually yeah. a conservative outlet. Yeah. FBI agent Joseph Pienka lied to the FISA court. And this is a story written jointly with... Um, Adam Carter from the Washington Pundit and me yes. um, about the fact that there was a FISA warrant on on General Flynn and how Joseph Pienka was involved in both the Carter Page FISA warrant and the General Flynn FISA warrant with details and handwritten notes and pictures and exhibits and links and text messages. And it's basically like a very good Spygate refresher. Yeah, it's an excellent story, and it is on UncoverDC.com, and it also was on the top of Citizen Free Press yesterday. And you were sending me a link to it, and I said, know about it already. I know. In my distribution files as well. It went out on on my newsletter to a whole bunch of folks. Uh, But what I want to know is, will this ever mean anything? Will either General Flynn get some sort of um, compensation or will these guys get justice? Will they get their butts locked up? 
you know, we're in the middle of the we're on, I think, day eight now of the Sussman trial. And we've been getting some really interesting stuff coming out of that case about just how involved the seventh floor, meaning like the upper echelon of the FBI was in in all of this, the Alpha Bank hoax and everything else. And we had some new names come into the fort, new companies I still need to research more that we had never heard of before now. And it turns out that like, you know, DARPA slash dark money slash CIA potentially was very much involved in all of this through Jaffe, who I I, um, shared a letter that that Jaffe had sent to via his attorneys to the special counsel on my um, truth. I don't know if you saw this one or if you're on truth social, but this is where I do everything now. So um it's, it was a letter that they wrote to the special counsel asking them to disband because they argued that the special counsel was violating uh, Jaffe's constitutional rights. It says which specific rights uh, was the special counsel violating here? While the powers and authority vested in a special counsel are broad, including the full power and independent authority to exercise all investigative and prosecutorial functions of a United States attorney. And blah, 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 blah. Um, a special counsel and his or her staff are subject to disciplinary action for misconduct and breach of ethical duties under the same standards and to the same extent as other DOJ employees. And they may be disciplined or removed from office by the attorney general. There is a motion to intervene and expunge that was filed where they argue the points of how they think they're intimidating him and they're he's getting violent threats from people. And the funniest thing about it all, Mike, is that he was never identified as like he was tech executive one. Yeah. You know who identified him? His own attorneys. I was going to say tech executive two. <laughs> like literally yeah. his own attorneys confirmed it was him. So. The whole thing is just I couldn't believe what I was reading here. I'll put the link in the show notes. It says special counsel Durham and members of his staff has have also utterly disregarded established DOG DOJ policy. And it doesn't really say how. Well, this goes right back to the axiom that should always be used in every case when someone on the left points a finger at you. They are guilty of doing what they're accusing you of doing. They, they see in others what they recognize in themselves. So these people, remember how they used to say, Trump's using the attorney general's office and the DOJ to be his own personal lawyers and, and police. Yeah. Well, that's because that's what they had been doing to Donald Trump. And will continue to do to us. This one sentence sums up their grievance. It says special counsel Durham and members of his staff responsible for Sussman's matter have blatantly violated my client's constitutional rights, including his right to due process of law and have flouted the presumption of innocence. In doing so, they have irreparably damaged Mr. Jaffe's personal and professional reputation, put him and members of his immediate family at risk of violence and caused him significant financial harm and emotional distress. Their actions are inexcusable and not in keeping with the proud traditions and longstanding principles of the DOJ. So, Durham, do me a favor. If you're listening, which I doubt, slap some charges on the dude already. Yeah, please. Let's get serious. Enough of this pussyfooting around. Yeah. Like, charge the broader conspiracy that you've been laying out in this case. Charge it. Charge it. 
throw some charges on some people. Let's get this. Like, come on, let's get the show on the road. Everybody keeps saying everybody's going around and doing their clips on like, like, you know, media and on Fox, who has paid a lot of attention to the fact that, oh, Robbie Mook has has declared that Hillary Clinton greenlighted. We knew that already. You knew that already. That's like the most un uh, unspectacular thing. But let's think about that. That reality of Robbie Mook coming forward and, and smearing or admitting to the truth of, about Hillary Clinton greenlighting this was a surprise to the richest man on the world. I don't know if you saw this. Oh, yeah, I know. Elon Musk, you know who he was talking to? My I good don't. friend of the show, good friend, Shemmy, Shem Horn on Twitter. Shemmy, good for you, Shemmy. Give yeah. you a noogie right now for that. That is so amazing to me because it, again, highlights the power, ultimate power of the mainstream media is the power to ignore. When the richest guy on the freaking planet doesn't know about what's going on with the Sussman trial and the Durham investigation and he just catches on to it, it means that most of the country has no idea what it's about. Do you want to know why he's just catching on to it? No, I mean, yes. You do? I'm excited to tell you. Yes. Because this is what happens when you have your eyes suddenly pried open. (laughs) Like your clockwork orange clip. Yes. And you're you're consuming things that were hidden from you previously by either your own bias, your own unwillingness to look. Or the fact that you only consumed mainstream media for however many time and had no idea that any of this stuff was even happening or were told it was all a lie. I want it. I want I want. It'll never happen. But I think that the Pulitzer is now forever tainted forever. And oh, a, of course they, they yeah. should get back. Anybody that got a Pulitzer for reporting on uh, Russiagate on anything that had to do with the collusion and needs to give them back. All of you, New York Times, Washington Post, give them back. You know, what's funny. Um, Adam Carter, the guy who I wrote this article with, whose name <laughs> it's I, I called him Adam Carter once by accident in a live stream and he just adopted it. That's not even actually. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, he um, he photoshopped me holding a fake award into the picture of all of those people getting their Pulitzers. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Oh, the memes that guy makes of me. He, he... I, the, I would say that's also a suspect for a stalker investigation. I everybody's true. <laughs> you know, you have your own stalker. I don't have a stalker. I'm not jealous at all. He's actually a friend. He's a friend now. Um, I met him. The reason why I met him is because I don't know if you've ever heard the name Akeem Alptekin before. Oh, of course not. Akeem Alptekin is is the guy who ran the company that engaged the Flint Intel Group to do the work for um, about Turkey. Oh, okay. Not not a yeah, not a part of the Turkish government at all. Not a man who was you know working on behalf of the government, but. Adam was writing a writing a series of stories about what was happening to him and continues to, by the way, um, happen to him. And I've interviewed him several times, but he reached out to me um, to see if I could potentially 
talk about that story, given its relation to the Flynn case that I was covering. And I read his work and I was like, wow, this is incredible work, like incredible journalism. He writes for the Washington Pundit as well. Or That's cool. Yeah. So there's a lot of incredible, actual, real work that is done that is completely overshadowed, which is why I was so thrilled to see Cheryl Atkinson come out with her own like version of awards for media, independent I, media. I didn't realize she was giving awards. I'm just a giant fan of Cheryl Atkinson. Yeah, she started a contest. She asked for submissions for actual, you know, like real independent journalists who have done work that has been impactful. Um, and she's going to give out awards. Do we still have time? I think so. I think there's a day or two. I have to dig up one of those stories I think nobody else is covering. It has to be between April of 2020 and today. Oh, I got plenty. I got plenty. Things that I should share with people. Yeah, here, updated call for entries. The Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for investigative, original, or off-narrative news. Off-narrative is such a great term. Yeah, she, she is an, just a steel spine. I love her. I, I, it's just fantastic. And uh, I, I'm happy. I have to look into this now. I think I have a couple of stories that uh, got overlooked by the mainstream media. And since I departed the blaze, was shown the door. <laughs> there are several stories that are overlooked by the, quote, mainstream media. Or in some cases, Mike, you break a story in, I don't know, 2020 and the mainstream media picks it up in 2022 as though it's brand new. Isn't that amazing? And you're Isn't sitting there like, um, hello. McFly. Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's irritating. The one time I broke a big story and actually got credit, uh, the Huffington Post gave the blaze credit me specifically for breaking the IRS conservative um, targeting. Well, then you know all about Catherine Engelbrecht. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. 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 But this was prior to that. Well, Catherine, Catherine was uh, the genius behind an organization called the Testudo Project, which I don't know if I've ever explained that to you. We did on the episode where we talked about this the first time. Okay. Yeah. Well, that... That was the um, genesis of why I close all my shows with the phrase Testudo, my friends, Testudo. She's, she's just, she's something. Her testimony was amazing. But there was a story that I did um, before, um, before all of this happened when she was winning her lawsuit against the IRS that explained how Lois Lerner was directly involved in targeting and it detailed everything out with emails and documents and whatever. And, you know, that was a huge story, Mike. So kudos to you. Well, I, I had a lot of help from people in the 912 groups and some of the Tea Party groups who were saying, hey, we can't get our 501c3s passed because they're bearing us with paperwork requests. They're keeping us from doing our jobs. And the, the more we scratched, the more we found. And, mm -hmm. and then the thing, damn thing broke nationally. But again, Lois Lerner paid no price for that. No, no, no. price. She, she was allowed to go on a hiatus for a while before she retired, which only let her pension be increased. 
And the worst part of it all is that like just breaking yesterday, another thing that I kind of put out there yesterday in the Bannon case, which was a story that you took some keen interest in the, the um, usually you can't file friend of the court briefs in criminal proceedings, usually in D.C. It's, it's not something that often happens, which is why when it was allowed in the Flynn case at the end, it was like, whoa, what the hell's going on here? But the the. How the majority, the House majority, the committee, for lack of a better word, filed a brief um, to bolster the case for contempt against Bannon. And yesterday, Kevin McCarthy, as the quote minority leader, filed his own brief in Bannon's case against the quote majority and the committee. So now we've got dueling. And and there's a lot of uh, information that shows that, you know, the, the minority only did it as a PR stunt. It needed to be filed electronically. They didn't file electronically. They only filed it in the public, basically in the court of public opinion. The press release is up with the paperwork, but it's never been put on the docket. It, it's a lot of nonsense that they're pulling here because they, they're they working up to their, their uh, televised hearings, Mike. Oh, yeah. And those hearings are going to be in prime time. Yeah. You notice they waited to have their televised hearings till after the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial because they realized nobody would watch as long as that thing was can, still going on. Can, can, it's the end. And even though I had a couple more things, that's OK. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. OK. I've said this a million times. This is my guilty pleasure. I listen to it at night when I'm trying to veg out and just play some mindless game on my tablet because I'm a legal I'm obsessed with it. So I listen to legal, a lot. Legal. Of- You're legal, 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 something like that. They had a quote expert witness on the stand. Was this Amber's expert witness? Yes. <laughs> Is this the guy who, if I didn't know better, I think he was a stunt double. Okay. Future boy. He looked like, yes, he looked like, he looked like Doc Brown from Back to the Future. He did, but the, the 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 most terrifying thing about this, did you watch it? No. No, I've only heard about it. I haven't found it yet, so you have to send me the link. I, I will. It's a half, it, the cross-examination is what you really want to see. It's a half an hour long. The guy is, he's so, like, if he were my son, if, if I were in the hospital and he was coming to see me, and walked in the. I would run in the other di- run, not walk, but run. So it, if you mean if he were your doctor, you're in a it, hospital bed, and in hi, I'm your doctor. You would sprint away. Yes, <laughs> it was terrible. I, I wonder if if it would behoove everybody to hear just a moment of this. Yeah, if you've got it, and just in honor of the second time the word behoove was used correctly. On the show today, I think we should hear it. I do have it. I have it. Hold on. I'm just scrolling backwards because me and my sister-in-law have been going back and forth because that's the only person I can talk to about it. You know, rightfully so, everybody in my circles is like, why are you even talk, like paying attention to any of this? Like, it's so, because it's such a train wreck. But it's also, um, remember the Me Too movement. This is now the Men Too movement. Yeah. No, I probably would say to you that certainly I would not say narcissistic personalities or I would say traits. Certainly from what I have read, intimate partner violence is not a diagnosis. So the answer is no for that. Uh, narcissistic personality traits is on, not a diagnosis. I, you know what? It's too long to actually play to get the substance, but the cross-examination was brilliant. The guy... So- 
Put up a link and then we can all get a martini and have our own little guilty pleasure with you. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll put up a link because the guy was testifying to Johnny Depp's cognitive ability, had never met him before, never examined him in person, admitted to using the Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean movie to make his baseline judgment about his <laughs> character said in the beginning of the testimony he has no idea what actors do to prepare for their job he doesn't know how they act he doesn't know anything about acting whatsoever and then used the fact that Johnny Depp had an earpiece on his ear to determine that he could not remember enough to um, actually deliver his lines when confronted with the fact that it was actually music being played in that earpiece as Johnny Depp was delivering lines, was forced to admit that he was probably wrong about his whole entire assessment of Johnny Depp's cognitive ability because he wasn't even using real information to base it on. Like, it was just the utter and absolute destruction of a supposed expert witness on the stand in real time as you could sit there and watch it. And the guy was so cocky and and stupid and full of himself and rude. And then yesterday they brought in uh, Johnny Depp's expert witnesses because now it's his turn to rebut. Right. And the case is going to end on Friday. And Kate Moss is coming in today to testify that Johnny Depp was a lovely, wonderful man who never touched her or did anything horrible to her because Amber Heard brought that up previously. Anyway, I could do law tube on this case and I don't know why I'm not doing it. Yeah. Why aren't you? I, I, I don't know. OK, you might not have time because you also have a life and other stuff to do. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. But. If you want, if anybody out there for some odd reason is watching this trial so that you can feel better about yourself <laughs> and you want some details or some analysis, shoot, shoot an email over. I'll be happy to do it for you. <laughs> so you're not alone. I guarantee you're not alone when you tell people I'm watching this to feel better about myself. <laughs> and, and that is a hundred percent correct. I love the fact that the head of the DC comics film said that uh, Amber Heard's diminished role in Aquaman 2 had nothing to do with Johnny Depp. Right. Her whole defamation case, poof, up in smoke. Yeah, there it is, poof. Literally. Like, like, I don't know how any jury sitting there, I, I just don't know how. And then yesterday they pulled in a guy who happened to be working at that camp where the trailer was, like where, where Johnny Depp supposedly said, how much pressure does it take to break a human wrist? You know, like whatever. Yeah. And they brought him up on the stand. This is actually funny when he's getting cross-examined and he replied to a tweet from a guy named Umbrella Man or something who apparently is like a Johnny Depp fan club runner who. And and the other thing, (laughs) Mike, Adam Waldman. You know the name. No, I don't. Adam Waldman was Johnny Depp's attorney who was at the center of Amber Heard's counterclaim because he's the one who made the statements that Amber Heard was lying about the domestic violence. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he took the stand. But why he's important to the audience here is because he's the one who was brokering the whole Vault 7 thing between James Comey, Christopher Steele, Julian Assange, and and Mark Warner in, in the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Holy crap. Yes. Yes, he was trying to get Julian Assange's information into the FBI about who actually was behind the DNC hack, quote. And if James Comey were to have taken it, he would have stopped the release of Vault 7, 
But the whole negotiation fell apart and James Comey said, go up a bridge because they didn't want it outed that it wasn't actually a, quote, hack by Russia. So they couldn't take that information. They couldn't partake in any of the negotiations. So they let it go. And then WikiLeaks released Vault 7. And at the center of that entire controversy was Adam Waldman, Johnny Depp's attorney. Full circle, seven, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Wow. That's like three degrees. Yeah. Of Johnny Depp. Yes. This is going. Johnny Depp's connected to everything. Uh, Move over, Kevin Bacon. Sit down, Kevin Bacon. Right. You've been replaced. That's good. That's good. I have uh, have two other nuggets to add. Sure. uh, To today's show, because I know we got to get out of here. Yesterday, there was a forensic audit result released of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and the hard drives. 100% legit. Ooh. 100% legit, forensically audited and uh, validated. And then at the same time, there is reporting that broke today via the Washington Examiner that uh, Hunter, on more than a dozen occasions, hacked into his sister-in-law slash paramour's phone and stole data from her. Not, Not just pictures and videos and God knows what was on those, but voicemails and call logs from his sister-in-law, his brother's widow. So this guy is not just a sleaze bag. He's a, he- he's, a, he's a data thief. And in apparently in the analysis of the data he stole, there's proof that the sister-in-law, Bo's widow, knew all about Hunter's business deals in China. Ooh. So, I, yeah, well, I, I pray that we get some some justice for this on that. And, and then I leave you with um, proof that the uh, the nut doesn't fall far from the other nut. Kamala Harris has that niece named Mina. You the know? one who became all of a sudden became a uh, a model, a model who's not a model. Yeah, she she doesn't. I, I no, Thank you. But yeah, she's a model now. She's I guess they're saying she's one of those quirky looks. But uh, Mina Harris, the niece of the vice president, immediately after yesterday's tragedy, tweeted, it's easier to get a gun than baby formula. Now, you realize you're slamming your aunt. Yeah. That. Yeah. Not only are you politicizing the deaths of all these children, but you're also self-owning, as they say. Terrible. I I just, I laugh at them. They are a cacistocracy, a government by the worst possible people. And uh, the sooner they're out, the better. Um, I was just sent an email by um, a friend by Emerald Robinson before we end. John Roberts breaks his silence about vaccine injury. Fox News, John Roberts. Mm. What happened? Um, Question, anyone out there getting chest pains after the booster? 4,000 stories of this underneath his tweet. Oh, my God. Well, I know what I'll be reading while I'm waiting for the highlights of today's Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. (laughs) Well, Kate Moss just testified. Here, we'll just play this and we'll go. Okay. Afternoon, your t- your time. Uh, my name is Ben Chu from the firm of, of Brown Rudnick. 
Uh, would you please state your full name for the record? Kate Moss. Ms. Moss, where do you reside? Relationship with him. Uh, did there come a time when you and Mr. Depp had a romantic relationship? Yes. For how long, Ms. Moss, were you and Mr. Depp a romantic couple? From 1993 to nine, no, 1994 to 1998. Four years. Ms. Moss, did there come a time when you, uh, while you and Mr. Depp were a couple, that the two of you took a vacation together to the Golden Eye Resort in Jamaica? Yes. What, if anything, happened when you were in Jamaica with Mr. Depp? I, um, we were leaving the room and Johnny left the room before I did and there had been a rainstorm and as I left the room, I slid down the stairs and I hurt my back. How did you... And... I apologize, Ms. Moss. Please continue. Basically, and I... Johnny Depp didn't push her down the stairs. Yeah, she slipped. That's so, this, this was like the one where he, she, uh, Amber Heard was saying that Johnny threw a, a Red Bull can and hit somebody in the back. And then an hour later, they get the girl up there and she goes, that never happened. Yeah, she's like, everybody had a different accounting of that story. Everybody. Every single person, like if you're a juror, if you, I swear, you know, you, you almost forget that this is a defamation case at this point. It is a very narrow subset of claims, but they've gone out here in the court, in the court, trying to prove out who abused who and when and blah, 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 blah. If he got one thing out of this, Johnny Depp, it's revenge. That woman will never have another role in any movie in Hollywood ever again. She's effectively finished. She's finished. I, I think she should worry about a Britney Spears-like conservatorship coming down upon her. Yeah. She's lived in a parallel universe, you know, from the rest of us that's not real. No. She's done. You're such a good, a very good, maybe even a great improvisational person. Well, thank you. There's a, there's a, I grew up in the shadow of Second City in Chicago, the theatrical company. Are you familiar with them? No. They are probably, if not the best, uh, the top two or three improvisational companies historically and have given us so many great performers over the years. And we used to go and watch them. And it was magical. And if you went late, 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 late at night, like one o'clock, you caught the after show, after show. Ooh. And improv theater to me was always so electric and so exciting because you never knew what was happening. No, you, I love him. Oh man. I just spilled a whole water bottle over my desk. Oh no. You, you never know what's happening in improv. I love improv. I, I, I watch it whenever I get a second because you get such organic, genuine laughter out of it. Yeah. And, and there are crutches they use, but the people from the, um, the uh, Second City Theater in Chicago wrote a book on improvisation meant for business and life called Yes And. And that is the, the single rule that you can teach everybody on how to make progress in life is to A, support what's going on and then expand it. 
So when somebody gives you an idea to immediately poo-poo it, tinkle on it, whatever, to try and stop it, is never going to get you as far as somebody who says, for example, somebody goes, hey, why don't we talk about um, sous vide cooking versus grilling? And the other, if the other person goes, no, we're not talking about that's boiling food. But if you say, yes, and why don't we explore new methods of cooking proteins that are simpler for everybody and show the secrets of restaurants. Now you've expanded it as opposed to just stopping it. We and, do a lot of sous vide here in my house. Oh, uh, I am a, I am a probably a five year sous vide. Yeah. And uh, do you use a, a stick, a sous vide stick like a, a, a Nova? I, I have the app on my phone. It's mainly my husband. He really likes to cook that way. Um, I don't know what brand he has, but it goes in a bath. Obviously, this it's just like a big heating element that goes yeah. in a bath and it hooks up to his phone. Yeah, you can you can check the temperature. Um, there is a way to sous vide now that you don't need the bath. And you don't need the bag because I was asking questions like when you put the meat to the protein in the bag with the seasonings, et cetera. And then you, you put it in that hot water bath of 130, 150, whatever degree temperature you're cooking. Um, how does that not leach some of those chemicals that we're always hearing about in the plastics? And they tell us it doesn't and, and all of that stuff. But the same people who developed the probably the most popular sous vide cooking stick, the Anova brand. I think that's what he has. Probably. They're great. I've, I've got three of them. But uh, about eight months ago, they came out with a new product called the Precision Oven. And it's, it looks like a toaster oven on steroids. And it will toast, but it replaces your toaster oven. And it allows you to sous vide cook and bake and broil uh, without using the water bath or the bags. And I was dubious of it, but I went ahead and went all in and got one. And it works its butt off. It really? Is, yeah, it's a sous vide without having to put it in the water bath. Huh. And it, it still does the same thing. What people, what people may not know is every great steakhouse you've ever been to. Sous vide is their steaks. All of them. Yep. If you go in the kitchen, there's probably four buckets, big buckets of water. And each one of them has a different temperature. It's rare, medium rare, medium, and well. And those are the water temperatures. So they will put like 10 steaks or five steaks in the bags seasoned in each one of those baths. And they can stay at the right temperature, ready to be seared on the grill just to be served in a matter of minutes. Uh, they can stay in there for 48 hours. Yep. So you can always have enough steaks on hand. I sous vide a um, five pound brisket about three years ago, but I did it for 72 hours. Mm. And it was so, it was smack your mama good. There is a um, great YouTube channel that specializes in sous vide called Guga Foods, if you want to look it up. How do you spell Guga? G-U-G-A. Guga Food. He's is great. It, is, it, is that his name? His, I think his name is Guga, his last name. I don't know if he's Asian or Hispanic. I'm not sure. 
Well, now that we've delved into the cooking thing, I, I won't take us there forever because I could clear a room talking about it. We have many, many important things today. Um, two summers ago, Consumer Reports magazine featured sous vide cookers on the cover and the words sous vide, the best cooking method you've never heard about. And it, it truly is a, a game changer. Once you, you've you can, seen it through your husband, right? You can do corn. You can do anything. You can do Egg. vegetables. Eggs, chicken, Eggs. corn, salmon, beef, yep. anything. Yep. And and the, the beauty of it is you could put it in there, set it. I hate to be around Popeil and forget it. You can go have cocktails with your guests and, and they're going, well, shouldn't you be watching the grill? Nope. Nope. And then you just need to put a nice sear on it. Yep. Get that cast iron pan going or you get the grill heated up. It it is so good, people. It is really, I'm an um, evangelist, if you will, for the sous vide industry. Yeah. Hubby does hamburgers, all kinds of different things. As a matter of fact, ah, never mind. We'll we'll just keep going forever. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I, I, what a, what a, what a, that happened just naturally, organically. We didn't set any of this up. We never do. We're improvisational people. Like <laughs> the second city in Chicago, which brings us back full circle to my telling you what a great improv person you are. Thanks, Mike. And we. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time to go. Thanks for stopping by. You can listen to the Dark Delight. Sorry. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. We'll be back Friday. Yeah, sure. As the summer sports get underway and the winter sports head into their off-season, we've been getting a lot of questions coming in revolving around the concept of specialization in sport. So today, we're going to kick off a conversation looking at specialization, the pros, the cons, what exactly is it, and is it as bad as it's made out to be? And then we're going to visit with crush favorite Rick Carrier, former Senior Director of Player Development for the Edmonton Oilers, about player development, coaching development, and capitalizing on your off-season. So be sure to join us for this powerful look at specialization and player development on this week's episode of Crush Performance. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.